Welcome back to World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason for another Oregon Music News Coffee Shop Conversation. I'm Tom D'Antoni. With me today is the singular Oregon Music Hall of Fame member Calvin Walker. He was one of our most favorite bringers of the funk. As a singer and a drummer in a vibrant soul and funk scene, he used to work six nights a week. Later, he was the head of the Musicians Union. I met him when he was the development director at KMHD when it was at Mount Hood Community College and he was the voice of reason in a dysfunctional environment. He stayed at Mount Hood when the station moved its operations to OPB, and he's now a counselor. He has a wealth of stories, is a fountain of musical knowledge, and he's funny too. Meet Calvin Walker. Welcome to the cupping room. Hey, man. How you doing? Beautiful day. It is. Beautiful uh, surroundings. Beautiful place at the World Cup. That's true. Beautiful. I wish the smoke would go away, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Seems to be a little bit better today, but. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's. Uh, by, the time, by the time this goes up. Yeah. Um, it'll have rained, and hopefully smoke will go away. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I I I hate doing this, and I hate when I hear it, but I'm going to do it anyway because we because we started talking before I turned this on, and and I know that, and I hate to hear that when I when somebody says that because I know what I don't what, what did I miss what did I miss but right, it right. doesn't matter because because uh, uh, I I could repeat it anyway and I wouldn't because right. I don't I wouldn't remember what I said. <laughs> well, I, you know, I I I think the thing we were, we were talking about Portland. Yeah. particularly yeah. and how it it's it's uh it's still a great city there's no doubt about that uh but there was a certain time well up until fairly recently because yeah. we have such a new influx of people and yeah. ideas and whatever the and case may be buildings. but this was such an artistic uh i mean everything from dance and art and music and 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 as we were talking about journalism, yeah. it's a certain standard coming from historical traditions. And I don't know if it was technology. Uh, you know, it's probably a combination of things, but it was just a different time. Uh, yeah. It was To me, it was a cooler time. Uh, and I, I think most musicians would certainly agree with that. Certainly the ones who were working the way we worked. Yeah. Uh, the abundance of clubs, uh, fueled by the baby boom, of course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, come on, Tom. I'm, I'm sure when you got here, there must have been 30 clubs, yeah. 40 clubs, yeah. all over town, yep. in the suburbs, yep. Yep. everywhere. Yep. People working six, seven nights a week, playing music, actually making a living, yep. hanging out at the Metro and the Coffee Ritz in the daytime. Uh, I think to that extent, really feeling like artists, you know, really feeling like... And it didn't matter what you did; you could actually make enough to get by. Right. Uh, it it was, I and it was really the social milieu. You know, people talking to each other. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Nobody was emailing or texting or anything. Right. There were no cell phones. Yeah. You call there. Were, you you may drop a quarter in and call somebody from a phone booth and have right. them meet you at the coffee Ritz or whatever right. the case may yeah. be. It's just you know these are different times. I think we we maybe we've lost uh, 
we've lost the ability to face each other to a certain extent. And yeah, that's what bad. we did back it's then. Bad. You know, yesterday you was know. my birthday. What's that? Yesterday was my birthday. Yes, sir. I, I sent you a birthday I wish. Got, you did. Yeah. But I got like 175 Facebook messages and three phone calls. Right. Right. There you go. I, I mean, thank you for, for what right. you did, but I don't give a fuck about Facebook happy yeah. birthdays. Yeah. You know, if you want to wish me happy birthday, wish me yeah. happy birthday. You know? I guess it's easy. It's In some ways, it's I easier. Right? Yeah. But then. I think that's another sentiment, right? I'm gonna accept accept this uh, uh, <laughs> this text, and it's gonna touch my soul. It's certainly not like hearing somebody right being right in front of them and hearing what they have to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's not the same thing. I, I well. guess I I guess uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it's uh, more convenient. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But, I, you know, to a certain t extent, too, I think people are emboldened in ways they wouldn't be if they were just sitting that's, talking to each other. Bad. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it, mostly it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. It just gives people a, a license to be, to be stupid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I sort of, uh, I, I, I enjoyed those times different now. And so, uh, you know, just everything about it. Especially, I think musically, most of all, because uh, everything was a production back in those days, right? Yeah. I mean, all the yeah. cars, Lacerade, yeah. uh, uh, Key Largo, Louis yeah. Le every place had a stage yeah. and lights yep. and sound men. Yep. Uh, and those guys, too, There was a, that was a whole other culture. The crew. Yeah. You know? Mick and Peter and I mean uh, Peter Horn, Peter Fair, uh, Dana, all you know, so many. They they were all a part of that big family, if you will. You know, yeah. man. There's a little bit of that today, but not much. I mean, people know Jay Bozic, Jay Bozic, and they know Shira, but right, you know, yeah, yeah. It was a whole. And they all worked. That was the other side of it. All those guys were working every yeah. night. Yeah. They had a gig yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. I, I don't care. You you cannot. Uh, you, you, you're not going to replace that. What was it like for you creatively to work that much? To work six nights a week? Oh, my God, man. I loved it. I, I, I can't even. Did that make you a better musician? Well, I, I, I'm going to tell you what I base what I did on. Okay. When I was younger, uh, you know, as a drummer, uh, I played trumpet. Then I met Thera Memory, so playing trumpet was out of the question. <laughs> that ended. Yeah. And then uh, and I, I, used, I sang, and I played the drums, and I played the trumpet. And then I became a singing drummer. Well, you, you know, That's you're going to get gigs. Right, yeah. be a lead vocalist playing drums, uh, and and did that really became accomplished at it? You know, that's a thing. In fact, somebody gave me a, a some seed, a couple of CDs from stuff I did way back in the seventies, and I was going, man, you pretty badass, man. Dude can play the drums, singing and playing the drums. And then a friend of mine, I've uh, seen pictures. 
Yeah, you yeah. Had, I, you, I had, mean, you, you had to throw. You had to bear chest. You were gone. You oh were yeah, gone. I was. I was into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then when I started singing, you know, to me, um, music has always been a combination of jazz and soul music. J- jazz and funk and soul music. I love the melodies. You know, some people talk about smooth jazz. Really, all that is is guys soloing over a, a different rhythm. No different than somebody playing over samba rhythm or straight ahead or, or New Orleans uh, backbeat, whatever the case may be. It could be the meters or it can be Jeff Lorber. It, it's really about people improvising over a certain texture of music. So that's, that's uh, always been my thing. So when I started singing, um, okay singer, I was certainly a good performer, but... I think the things that the thing that made my particular group of people uh, interested in what we had to do and why we worked so much because I had great players. Everybody could play. Yeah. That that was the qualification to get in my band yeah. is that you could play. Yeah. I don't care if you're black, white, short, tall, skinny, fat. I don't. I didn't care. Can you play? Yeah. And having all those guys, man. Uh, who could play like that, uh-huh. propelling each other every night. No. I, I, I'd work every... It's funny to me <laughs> hear, hear people talk about, oh, we don't want to overexpose ourselves. Or, you, know, you, know, you know, we only play one or two sets. Man, we played, we played like... I remember a couple of weekends, we played nine or ten gigs a week. <laughs> we played three or four times yeah. on Saturday. And we get up in the morning, play a wedding reception, play some run or the Portland Regatta, uh-huh. and in the afternoon play something else. And at night we play at Fathers or Salties or wherever the case may be. Every night, so and every night it was just as energetic. I mean, come on, man. Todd Carver, Brian Davis, Dennis Carter, Ron Reed, all these players. Tim Mayer, Sandy Wilson. That's Cheek Brothers, the Lynn Sisters, uh-huh. the Arnold Brothers. Uh-huh. How do you? How do you not just have a great time when you're surrounded by people like that? Yeah. Carlton Jackson, Joe Heineman. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, uh, uh, and I think I had access to them because I had been a drummer, you yeah. know, hung out with yeah. the guys. Yeah. But that was a thing. It, it wasn't about me. I, I was lucky enough to be in the position to take the credit for it. Yeah. Truthfully, I was calling the band something else. And it was like a curse. Whenever I'd have a name of a band and yeah. take a picture, yeah. somebody would quit or get a gig or quit playing music or whatever. I said, you know what? I'm just going to call it the Calvin Walker Band. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Screw that mess. I know I'm always going to be there. Uh-huh. And that was the reason for that. But other than that, man, it was about finding the best guys you can Uh and as a leader, keep everybody working. Yeah, that's why they. Pl- that's the other reason they play with your ass. Yeah, they're not playing with you because they think you're groovy and cool. Right. You're paying them. Correct. They're making money. Yeah. They say, "Brother, I'll hang with you till the cows come home." Right. You keep me working like this. <laughs> I mean, really, that's anybody. Yeah. If James Brown wasn't providing any gigs, nobody would be playing in his band. That's right. <laughs> that's that's it. You're paying people. Yeah. And uh, I was blessed enough to be able to do that. And, you know, man, 
Spin, come on, man. It's like it, it's no different than what you do. You can't. That can't be explained when you live life on your own terms. Right. It can't be explained. People go, how? Well, Anna, how did you do it? That can't be explained. When you get up every day and you're doing exactly what you want, man. Come on, man. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure in your life you probably had this reflection too. And it's like guys you went to school with, right? High school or whatever. And they uh, became wealthy real estate moguls, right. you know. And you see them and you go, oh my God, you know. I've been following my muse, but uh, yeah. this guy has some bucks, right? <laughs> but life is from valleys. So invariably, either something's going to happen to them that's not going to be yeah. all that yeah. much positive. And I, I remember thinking, you know, because I, I was a school teacher, uh, did a few things. Well, that's what you wanted to be originally, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, because I had an inspirational fourth grade teacher. That's why right. I wanted to be a school teacher. That's really what it is. What Isn't that the, that the case the most of the time? What school was that? Uh, Humboldt. Uh-huh. And uh and really that was a reason for that. Uh and some reason I wanted to play music, man, from about ten years old, eight, nine, ten years old. I played with my uncle's big band and drums? Uh no, I sang and played uh -huh. trumpet. Uh -huh. I had a nice little tuxedo uh -huh. and these beautiful little white tap shoes right. and I tap dance and uh, did the baby elephant walk <laughs> by Al Hurt? Yes, and uh, and stuff, and and did this imitation of Louis Armstrong. <laughs> and I tap dance, and I was cute. And that went on from probably eight to ten years old. And then I was tired of it, man. It's like yeah, I want to be a kid and play baseball, be hanging out with my uncle and his, you know, crew of marauders. <laughs> And so I quit um, doing it, and then I ran into Jimmy and Johnny Sanders. I must have been 12 years old, and that was it. Went over to their house. They had a Hammond B3, a uh -huh. drum set, oh boy. guitar amps, guitar. Uh -huh. I was over to their house every day. Really? Every day. Were they? How old were they? Were they your Jimmy age? was my age, yeah. and uh, Johnny was... When we were 13, maybe he was 15. <laughs> that was it. That was my education, man. And I was just lucky enough to to uh, be one of the guys in all of, of those different things. You know, stuff for the day, you know, young rascal, jazz, really. Really? You know, a lot of jazz, because those guys played Hammond B3. Yeah, so yeah. Jimmy Smith, Brother Jack right, McDuff, right. Uh, Jimmy McGriff, yeah. uh, jazz, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that type of stuff, Lou Donaldson, uh -huh. uh, that type of stuff back in those days. And, of course, the stuff, let's face it, you know, we, you know, young rascals, uh and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and like everybody else, yeah. but but always jazz based, uh -huh. and uh, uh, but you know when you play a gig, people want to dance, so you learn the music of the day, soul music of the day, James Brown, yeah. you know whoever, uh, you know Wilson Pickett, Wilson Pickett, yeah. Joe Tex, 
all that you know stuff out of Muscle Shoals, Booker T and the MGs, Marquis, uh, and guys around town. The the incredible dudes just around Portland, Big Bill Pittman, uh, George Lawson, Lee Rynell, uh Dan Mason, on and on. Oh man, yeah. Mel Brown, Thera, shit. Uh, but they, you know, much before them. But Mel was always around. Yeah. In fact, uh, how I knew I was gonna play drums, my mother worked with his sister. They were nurses uh-huh. at the old county hospital, which is now OHSU. And uh, Mel lived with his sister, Little Alice, they called her. And uh, my mother, we had to go by their house for something, you know. Um, and I went down in that basement, and right, and it was like, man, it's like the lights went off, and the, you know, his drum set was sitting there. And I went, oh my God! I just looked at it, you know, I'm like eight, nine, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that just kind of like, that was it. I said, I'm. This is my destiny right here uh-huh. with this drum set, and. Uh, I uh, got a drum set. My grandmother helped me get my first drum set. And we would ride the bus out to Day Music. John Chesang, great John Chesang. Who, yeah, he, who, he ended up, he, he worked there, but he ended up owning Showcase, right? Uh-huh. So he let me pay $10. I rode the bus out there every Saturday. I got a Tempera drum set, uh-huh. Tiger, Tiger Stripe. Ooh. Uh, well, I take that back. It wasn't the whole drum set. <laughs> okay, I got the kick drum, yeah. the hi hat, yeah. one cymbal and a cymbal stand, yeah. and uh, a rack tom. No floor tom. Okay, one cymbal. That was it. Hi hat. You know, and uh, and I practice every day, man. Come home from school, practice those drums. My grandmother was so cool. Uh, cause back then, you know, couldn't go to YouTube and find anything. You couldn't even look at TV. Right. The only things that were even remotely close, that was much later too, maybe when I was 12 or 13, was Shindig and Hullabaloo. Yep. And then, uh, Don Kirshner's rock concert, uh, rock con- midnight special, I Big think they night. called it, right? right? Came on and la- sometimes it came on. I mean, we're in Portland. Right. So sometimes you could get it on Friday night. Otherwise, it was local wrestling. <laughs> it was preempted by local wrestling. Uh, but yeah, I, I I took the bus out there, practice and practice and practice. Oh, my grandmother, she had you know back then. Remember those big long consoles? Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. High fidelity. Yeah. And we had a record. The record was. Uh, high fidelity record and it had all these little examples of how you could oh, yeah. tune in the stuff yeah, 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 yeah. and one of them I've was Cozy Cole man oh, the drummer Topsy right part two dude <laughs> and it, the, it went back and forth you know stereo <laughs> high fidelity you know and uh, she let me turn uh, man God bless you grandma she let me turn that thing up loud and practice to it. Wow. Practice the drum. Let me sit up my drums in the living room. <laughs> really? I know I wouldn't be able to handle that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she let me do that every day. And then finally. Cozy Cole? 
What's that? Did you ever get the meat coats? I did not. Okay. No. Oh man! Even on my drum pad, yeah. I wrote to Calvin from Cozy Cole. <laughs> I saw pictures of him, but I, I, uh, and then back then that was it. Yeah. You saw pictures, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. You read the. Yeah, there was no, you know, internet. I'm gonna go to music.com or whatever and see all this stuff. Right. You can look at anything now. Back then. You just stared at the album jacket and read this stuff over and over. I'd look yeah. at their clothes, man, every detail. Yeah. Oh, man, his pants are kind of wrinkled. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know, look at those shoes or whatever. That's it. That's all you had. And playing the record over and over and over and over yeah. and over. I started buying records, I think. Uh, uh, they had a place downtown, Sixth Avenue Records. And that that was back in the days you could actually listen to the record. Preview it. Can you believe that? Walk they had they had Ooh. like they had every record, yeah. and you could go and request it, right. and then go over to a turntable yeah. and listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when they had booths. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. yeah. Man, <laughs> come on. And uh, I think I, back then you could get a an album. Fifty cents, seventy-five cents. Yep. And then uh, first album I ever bought was was uh, Gary U.S. Bonds. Dance oh, to a quarter to three. Yeah, don't you know that I dance, I dance to a quarter? Oh, yeah. oh, oh, Gary U.S. Man, he was he was the cat. You yeah. know. The funny I mean, all those cats. I used to think, uh, truthfully, and I'll admit it, I thought that the uh, Four Seasons were brothers. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, I'm gonna I'm gonna write the piece I want to write about yeah. that whole Norfolk sound yeah. that uh, Gary Usbons came out of because the whole thing was was started by an Italian. Well, truthfully, <laughs> I mean, really, well, and you can think about all the other guys. I mean, that kind of. I mean, I'm I'm sure that Bruce Springsteen, you can hear it almost. Yeah. Uh, that you know, Gary Gary Usbons was one of those artists who actually kind of. Uh, it was everybody. Yeah. Well, he was just a guy yeah. on, yeah. on the street. This, 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 this guy from, 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 from New York right. had gone in the Army and heard Calypso right. and just blew his mind, decided he wanted to be an Italian guy, decided he, he was a Calypso singer, moved right. back to New York, had a brief career as a, as a Calypso singer, had to leave New York, we don't know why. Right. <laughs> and moved to Norfolk, opened a record store, and in, in, in the hood, right? And all these cats came around, and that was the beginning of the Church Street Five, because it was the record store was on Church Street, right? Gene Barge and all these cats, right? And uh, and he, then he he started a, and 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 they started a record label, and he found this he found this guy uh, that he he renamed Jimmy Soul. Right, and they made "If You Want to Be Happy for the Rest of Your Life." Right, he made the Calypso version of Matilda, which was which right. was great because he changed the lyrics to "She Take Me Money and Run to Las Vegas." <laughs> <laughs> and then, but he it wasn't enough because he because there was a church, there was a, there was a gospel church right down the street, right, mm -hmm. and he would walk by, and he wanted to get that feel. And that's why all those Gary O.S. Bonds albums sound like they're recorded really badly, but that's what he was going for. Right. Uh, like a party. Like a party. Yeah. 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 And, um, uh, you know, uh, it, it worked for a while. 
Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he just he just found he just found Gary on you know just one of the guys who who stopped in a record store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I oh man, all those uh, those Gary U.S. Bond and I, I and I had a, a real I think early on too. Uh, there were certain uh, even the the white guy singers with the hair, you know, the Bobby Rydells oh, yeah. and the Frankie Avalon. Yeah. But the coolest one of all was Lou Christie. Oh. <laughs> Lightning and striking, man. Yeah. That was that was that my cut. Auto, you know. That was my cut. I, I just I was I was getting ready for, for my radio show tonight, and I, and, and I I've been doing this thing where I do individual years. I'll just take a chunk. Right. I'm, I'm up to 1961. Right. And I and I found the Marcells. Oh yeah, yeah. Who were five guys, three black, two white, but they all had Marcells. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Fred Johnson, that was the bass man. Who was that? Fred Johnson. Was Fred the bass Johnson man of the Marcells. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, uh, so you had this drum kit. Yeah. So I, I I had a drum kit, and then I started playing. You know, started playing with Jimmy and Johnny, and playing in the nightclubs. Man, by the time I was fifteen, I was playing three or four nights a week in nightclubs and going to school. You you can't imagine going to high school and uh, the weekend you spent with grown-ups, you know, yeah. the ladies of the night and right. the men who uh, employ them. Uh, yes, <laughs> and all the other things that happen in the middle of the night yeah. at yeah. Uh, you know <laughs> in those nightclubs. Oh man! And uh, and then probably in my by high school uh, I was playing. You know, we played. Uniques for a while. That was the name of the band. Uh, uh, Shag Thomas, his son James Thomas, and I were these cute little guys, and uh, had Michael Nola on drums and Jimmy Sanders and Willie Black. Oh no, Roy Clay on guitar, uh -huh. who's now a pastor in town. <laughs> and we uh, did some talent shows, and we won these talent shows. Oh, we were so cute. We did the splits and you know backflips and the whole nine yards. Uh -huh. And uh, and then that turned into uh, the Uniques, and the Uniques uh, combined with Lester McFarlane and and Johnny and those guys. And Johnny was playing at the Cotton Club. We all had little our stints at the Cotton Club and Fred's place, Paradise, Texas Playhouse. Uh, those clubs were all in Northeast, all in the African American section of. Uh, Portland. You didn't really need to play anywhere else. But we, we aspired to uh, play downtown. Yeah. We wanted to play downtown. Why not? And so we found a guy, we, this guy uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hydes. He said, if you want to play here, it doesn't matter to me. Back in those days, man, an all-black band, yeah, that was a no-no in Portland, Oregon. I don't care how liberal people say they were. I lived through it, and I'm telling you, yeah. Yeah. that wasn't par for the course until maybe the late 60s uh -huh. uh, but before that you kind of played where you played right. and and we went down there and then the late great uh, Dick Burdell he had a band called American Ingenuity and he took us out uh, and we played D Street and outside of maybe a national act like a James Brown or something that was the first time a local all uh, black band had played at D Street you know, unfortunately, we ended the gig with our house catching on fire, but 
we won't talk about that right now. What caught on fire? Our house, yeah. After we played the set, the state cop comes up and goes, Calvin Walker, Michael Nolan, your house is on fire. Oh, man. So that kind of uh, put a damper on our plans. Because we, we had the incense burning, and we were ready to uh, party after our oh, big no. triumph so gig. You, you set the house on fire? It, it said that perhaps... <laughs> Uh, I didn't personally. No, it was in the basement. I I was a, I had the upstairs bedroom. I see. But there may have been some incense burning, and ignited. Yeah. And from there, then uh, Ron Steen had uh, uh, the gig with Everything Is Everything. That was a pivotal turning point for me because I I had auditioned for Total Eclipse. It was Larry Ben at the time, Mike Cross. I didn't get the gig, but I came back again, and I ended up playing with uh, everything and Chris Hills. Chris Hills was a genius, man. He was, and he had he had uh, everything as everything had started uh, with Jim. Uh -huh. Those guys started uh, uh, everything as everything, uh, and the deal. I think it was on Herbie Mann's label, Cotillion. And uh, and then Chris ended up doing an Everything Is Everything. We're coming out of the ghetto with him and Chico Waters and Dennis Springer, Lee Ryanell. Um, so that was a whole other thing because Everything Is Everything got all the great. We put all the great hippie yeah. gigs, man, at Springer's and you, you know those big shows. You guys played with Tito. Oh, we opened up for uh, Canned Heat. Huh. Uh, <laughs> I'll never forget. I still had I had this little jazz drum set, but I I if any drummer out there, I was playing two Bs. Two Bs are like the one of the biggest drumsticks you can possibly have, man. My heads are all dented up, and you know, but they were you know they wouldn't break. Right. And I was pole. Yeah. So two Bs, man. I was playing this little drum set with two Bs, just breaking everything. <laughs> And the guy from Can Heat had this, you know, they're rich rock stars right. at the time, or coming up, a hippie band, and they had he had the two kick drums and, yeah, yeah. you know, all these tom toms and all this stuff, man. And he goes, man, I am amazed that you get that sound out of those little that little jazz kit. Yeah. So he gave me some sticks and a cymbal, I think. That's nice. Um. And then uh, through the seven, you know, I go back and forth. You know, you go back and forth. You know, northeast. You needed a gig. You take whatever gig you can. Yeah. So you play with whoever over there until I got with Carl Smith and the Natural Gas Company, uh -huh. 1975. And I had uh, that was a great gig because I had been out that summer selling books. Selling books, Tom. Like what kind of books? It was the volume library. 26 different school subjects in one convenient volume with a Rand McNally atlas in the back. And if you purchase a day, yeah. Mr. D'Antoni, yeah. we would not only give you the volume library, yes. 26 different school subjects, but the Betty Crocker 50 edition gold braid cookbook. And, as a special bonus, Bible stories that live. Look here, Mr. D. 
See the fine inscription? Makes a fine present. Stocking stuffer. <laughs> birthday present. Everyone knows that Christianity is missing from today's family. Man. Tom. So a lot of... They sent me to Detroit, Michigan. Whoa. In the summer of 75. Whoa. During the automotive layoffs. To sell the volume library. Stories that I can't tell yeah. that are not for public consumption. But all I can say is I lasted a month and a half and I really got to know myself. I'll bet. Yeah. And you're lucky you're still alive. I, I am very lucky to be alive. Uh, because I had no idea where I was, right? So they, they, uh, they tell us, well, we want you to... Uh, just knock on doors and try to find a place to stay. I said, oh, okay, that's wonderful, right? Really? Oh, yeah. We didn't know where we were, so we picked a nice neighborhood. And as it turns out, uh, it was the rich Italian neighborhood <laughs> of Detroit. <laughs> so... The first house I walk up to, and you know the short guys, the shorts, the shorts were short back then. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I had my little Portland State T-shirt on, oh my God. and my little short shorts, and I had my purple box with my volume library in it and all my books. So I walked up to the door, knock, 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 and a maid comes to the door. She goes, "Don't speak English. Let me go get my boss." This guy comes to the door. He goes. You know, it's Detroit, 19... Yeah. He's looking at me like, yes? I go, hi, sir. I'm Calvin Walker from Portland State University, and I'm on here selling the volume library. He goes, he just puts his hands up like, are you kidding? Like, he's looking around like, where's the rest of your gang? Yeah. <laughs> and I go, no, I'm serious. He goes, no, I don't want any books. I come down the driveway, five police cars. Oh. These cops, you know, my little stature, yeah. <laughs> these cops look like they were like Godzilla's, man. I'm looking at it. You got to go, the cop goes, uh, what are you doing? I go, hi, sir. I'm Calvin Walker from Portland, Oregon, and I'm out here selling the volume. Like, this guy goes, are you serious? He starts laughing so hard. He's, he's literally doubled over, right? So he calls over the other cops. It, it has had to be crazy, man. It's three or four in the afternoon. Right. The neighbors are all looking. I, I'm standing there, you know, with my little shorts on with these Detroit cops, and they're all bent over <laughs> laughing, you know. They're going, this guy is for real. Yeah. He's serious. Yeah. So they go, okay. <laughs> First of all, you can't sell without a permit. Oh. And you have to have a permit from for every little township. You know, it was Roseville, Seven Mile Road, Eight Mile Road, downtown Detroit. So he takes me to the first uh, uh, police station. However, it wasn't near that neighborhood. Yeah. It was closer to, like, University of Detroit. And as it turns out, none of us. Now, of all the people, there were 400 of us that trained in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, <laughs> And, and I won't even tell you a story. There are so many stories involved with it, but I won't even go into that. So then, you know, there's there's two brothers, a guy from French Polynesia, and the goofiest white dude in the whole 400, right? And he's got these thick blue aviator sunglasses. 
Now, uh, when I went over to his house to accept this wonderful employment, he's working on his 1965 Dodge Dart convertible, convertible putting in brakes. And I'm thinking, he goes, well, he said, well, you know, we recruited you. They play to you. We, we take honor students, and, yeah. you know, you're the best, and that's what we want. You want to make $5,000? Yeah, I do. I do. I want to make $5,000. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, we, we, we start out, and we're driving, and, and guess what? He's driving his boss's new mock, uh, what do they call them? Uh, the Fords. What are they? Uh, yeah. Mustangs, oh, oh. right? Beautiful car. Yeah. And guess who's driving his 1965 uh, Dodge Dart convertible uh, with his wife and the only other brother out of the 400? Voila! Oh, jeez. So when we picked up the guy, the uh, the other cat, and I'd seen him around Portland State. He was like a football player. Yeah. He goes, man, go down, meet me in the back, right? Yeah. So he'd ripped off some dudes. And so we pick him up. So we're, I'm going, you know, we're driving. You know, and back then the speed limit was 75. We're driving yeah. along. Yeah. And he, he, and this guy's wife, our boss's wife, is in the back sleep. And he's looking at me. He goes, man, I really want to drive. And I'm looking over at him like, this cat is weird, you know. He goes, man, I'm tripping. Oh, geez. I go, what do you mean? I'm thinking like he's going, oh, we're going to sell books, blah, blah, blah. He goes, no, man, I'm tripping. <laughs> I dropped. I go, oh, my God. So we're driving along. He goes, man, I really want to drive. I go, no, you can't drive. I am not letting you. I'm so tired. I can barely see. I said, there's no way I'm letting this guy get behind the wheel. So we pull into Salt Lake City. <laughs> And the wife goes, let him drive. How can you let him drive? And I'm, I'm, I can't tell her. Yeah. This guy's like spaced out. Are you kidding me? She goes, no, no, no. Please let him drive. I go, okay. So we, we meet this other guy, and he's got this big souped-up car. Yeah. He goes, follow me. We're going to go to the park and have some sandwiches and stuff. Okay, Hawaii, whatever. So I go, okay, I'll let you know, this guy drive to the park. It can't be that bad. It's only a couple of miles away. Yeah. So, you know, the, the markers they have in the middle of the road, these plastic things. Yeah. He pulls out into the freeway. Bop, 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 bop. He's hitting everyone. Oh, the, the wife is freaking out. She's going, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's going, you know, I go, you know, we pull over and he's like shaking. And uh, so that was the big. I should have known the trip was going to be. <laughs> so anyway, after all, after selling the, oh, the one more little part of it, I must tell you. So we finally find an apartment. It's about five blocks from the University of Detroit. And it was this older lady. And uh, in her backyard was one of the old airline tra trailers. You know, I love Lucy. Beautiful, silver, yeah. gorgeous thing. Right vines growing all over it ah. right she had always wanted to go to california oh, to get out of detroit oh, man. and on the summer that she wanted to go her husband gets emphysema or something right he can't move he can't do anything and she is bitter right 
So she rents us this place for $75 a month uh-huh. upstairs. Yeah. She said, but you can't turn on the electricity or the hot water. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, so all summer long, if you really want to go out and sell some books, yeah. uh, the best thing you can do is get up in the morning and take a cold shower. <laughs> And then, and then at night, um, she kind of determined how much uh, <laughs> friendship and activity we would gain because we ran an extension cord down to her house, yeah. and that was our light. We had an extension cord, and uh, that was our light, and we had a radio. Somebody had a little radio. Though. Yeah. That was our entertainment. No TV, <laughs> no hot water, right? And whenever she would get, I guess when she'd had enough, she would just unplug the (laughs) extension cord. (laughs) And that was it. No lights, no music, nothing. We'd stumble around and go to sleep. Uh, So luckily, and after almost getting robbed, I decided it was probably time to come back to Portland. Yeah. And luckily, I got back, and uh, Nick Jeffro. The drummer, uh-huh. Nick Jeffro, yep. uh, he was playing with Carl Smith. And he was going on vacation or something, going to Cuba or Costa, somewhere. Uh-huh. And uh, Dan Mason goes, you know, I got a gig for you at Carl Smith and Natural Gas Company. Best thing, one of the best things ever happened to me, truthfully. With downtown, they were playing all the great places, Frankenstein's. And they had a gig from right up the street here at the... Silver Moon Tavern every Friday. Wow. Every Friday, thirty-seven dollars and fifty cents. Pretty good. I don't care if it was packed or if there were two people. Yeah. yeah. That's the money. Yeah. Thirty-seven dollars and fifty cents. Wow. Now that wasn't bad because it was like a twelve-piece, six horns, four rhythm you mean for section. The whole band? What's that? For you or for the whole band? No. Oh, for me. Okay. Per All per right. guy. All right. Thank y'all. Gee. <laughs> We're like, yeah, I was making 32 cents. <laughs> no. And uh, in the band at that time was a great Sydney Anderson, right? Uh-huh. She was the original singer yeah. with the Jefferson Airplane. Yes. Great band. Uh, and I learned all those lessons in playing big bands from Thera, right? From playing in those uh-huh. cre- the creative jazz orchestra and those, all those, you know, community bands that he had. Uh-huh. And, and listening to that music, Oliver Nelson and Quincy Jones, yeah. all this stuff. So it was a really, a, it was a great gig, great, great, great gig. And actually, you know, you kind of, that's how you get known by a larger audience. It, yeah. it was cool. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, from there, Sliver the Funk Machine. <laughs> uh, so it was like these, uh-huh. we, we, it was six or seven of us. We all left the Carl Smith band in defiance oh, because uh, a trumpet player had found this agent in Canada. Uh, uh, and he goes, you know, I'll give you guys on a tour of Canada, a bus tour, which never, ever happened, never <laughs> eventualized. But uh, myself, Joe Heinemann, Gary Harris, Joe Heinemann, uh, Dick Vassella, about six, and Sam LaPuma, guitars. We all leave Carl's band, and we're going to start Sliver, the funk machine. Huh? And we had Shirley Nanette wow. on vocals. So the first gig we had 
before we had Shirley, and we were, and I was just playing the drums and singing, and then we had this guitar player who only lasted this one gig, and Gary Harris says we they said we get get this gig in Vancouver, BC, and they said uh, you got to have uniforms. Oh, and they better be sharp, oh, right? Man. And the big man at that time was the Burgundy Express, and these guys were like Canadian, had these really cool <laughs> outfits, man. Yeah, they were, yeah. you know, the cats. Right. And they say, uh, you better get some outfits. So Gary Harris's dad worked at Montgomery Wards, <laughs> and we went out to Montgomery Wards, and we got these suits. And the lapels were probably as big as Delaware, okay? <laughs> These lapels, monster lapels, right? Uh, but they didn't have six suits all the same. So, <laughs> rhythm section had cream suits with vests and black shirts, and the horn section had this denim-looking suits with blue shirts. So we uh, go up there, we get to the gig, and we think we're doing all right. You know, we're playing everything from Doobie Brothers to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. We, you know, we, you know, right. figure we were doing okay. Uh, but you know, you can when you when you have the vibe, it's the people in the club, the waitresses, the bartenders. They yeah. kind of let you know, like, right. you're not really happening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not really yeah. the yeah. stuff. Right. So. But we think we're triumphant. After all, we've come from Portland, Oregon, we play Vancouver, BC. So back in those days, I'm trying to think of the name of the agency there. But of course, no cell phone. So when you walk into these agents' offices, um, they have these long tables, and you know, there's 20 guys yeah. sitting on either side on phones. Uh -huh. Oh no! You know what? I can get the the Lamb's Wool Band for fifty dollars more. You know, <laughs> blah blah blah. Hey, you know, six nights. Can you start in Pocatello? You know, boom, <laughs> you know, you know. So we walk in and we go, "Hi, we're a Sliver," uh, and we'd always forget to say, "Cause Sliver." Right. What a right. messed up name for who the hell thinks of that? I must admit, I may have been a Sliver. Is there anything good about Sliver of anything? <laughs> right? Really? Who names a band Sliver? But to uh, balance it out, we were sliver the funk machine. <laughs> so we get to the agent, go down, you know, walk down, you know, like, you know, little minions we are. And we go, hi. And he goes, how'd you do? I mean, he's still on the phone. He's right. looking at his notes. And, how'd you do? No, no, actually, I take that back. He goes, you have my money? <laughs> agent's fees right there and there. He goes, how do you think he did? You know, he's like, well, oh, man, we did pretty good. He said, well, the bartender, he, he, he didn't even look up. The bartender and the owner said you sucked. <laughs> we're devastated, man. man. <laughs> you know? Uh -huh. But we're not going to tell the rest of the guys in the band. Because right. we, we're sliver the funk machine and we're going to push on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... The next gig we get uh, is supposed to be in Seattle. By this time, we had Shirley. We realized yeah. we needed a front person. Right. We needed sh the great Shirley Nanette. And Shirley, had, Shirley, you know, Shirley, she's gorgeous. Right. She's got the bell outfits. Yeah. She's going to make us what we are. Right. But, of course, 
you know, she's the, a woman. She's not a girl. Yeah. She's a woman. Right. But she's hanging with us. Uh-huh. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> so, so we get this gig supposedly in Seattle. Yeah. We get up to Seattle, and there's somebody else set up. Oh, jeez. And they said, well, we can get you a gig in, where was it? It was it, it, I can't even think of the name of the town. We ended up in, anyway. This particular so, town, yeah. it, it was it, the the place, the Garden Hotel. It was the only place they let Indian and Amish people drink together. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, there were Amish people everywhere, man, riding up and down the streets in horses and buggies, and Indians who liked to party, right? <laughs> so we, we we're, graphic for we're stupid the right we're yeah, stupid yeah. so so we leave Seattle it's like 2.30 in the afternoon he said you gotta start at 9 so there's a couple places to get into Vancouver BC back then it wasn't that hard to get in yeah. except for you had to bond your equipment oh. now this is how this is one of the things that you, you learn as a musician <laughs> in all of your naivete yes we get to the border and, you know, and we think we're the stuff, man. We're playing in Canada again. We, you know, we got to. And uh, the border agent comes up and he goes, uh, how much do you th- equipment do you think we have? And we're like, $50,000. <laughs> he goes, oh, really? It's a $5,000 bond. <laughs> credit card or cash? That was it. I don't even think it was credit card. It was cash. You got some money. Right. Right? Write a check, whatever. And we go, we don't, we'd look at each other like, what? So now we have to drive literally probably 75, 100 miles yeah. to the next border entrance <laughs> in the middle of freaking nowhere. Right? So we, we get there. We get it. By now we've learned. How much equipment do you have? Oh, about fifteen hundred dollars, yeah. right? Oh, fifty bucks. Okay, great. You're in the country. So now it's like two o'clock in the morning, right? <laughs> we finally pull into the place, but the place is still open. Yeah. I have never seen the consumption of alcohol by human beings. <laughs> <laughs> that had obviously gone on that night. And of course, the band wasn't there, so the couple doesn't even say anything to us. Yeah. We come in, oh, sir, we're sorry, you know, we had to start tomorrow night. Fine. <laughs> I mean, literally. He, yeah. No, no, how you doing? You hungry? You right? yeah. Start tomorrow night. Fine. So they show us to our rooms, we go up to our rooms. And we come down and we play the gig. And then the agent comes and the company's threatening us now. He's going, um, yeah, I should dock your pay, you know. So we're living all day through this. Agent comes in, he wants his money. We go, You'll, we'll pay you at the end of the week. So during the week, we go up to Vancouver, BC and uh, get another gig. Yeah. In Golden, British Columbia, mm-hmm. which is a ski resort, except it's uh, September. So there's. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so we play this gig, and, and every night 
we would meet the eight we'd meet at this uh, Chinese restaurant which really was sort of masquerading as a Chinese restaurant because when you push the door back with all these old Canadian ladies cooking the food all the employees were Chinese but not the cooks <laughs> so we met the agent there and while we're keeping him busy we're plying him with drinks you know surely is uh, we're loading up our equipment right so in the dead of night we leave town say goodbye to the Mormons and you know the in the people in the bar uh, get our money and hightail it for golden British Columbia so we get to golden British Columbia now this is sort of up in the mountains of, of uh, uh, BC um, and we had mind you we had left in the August 1st September so now it's getting kind of chilly yeah we don't have any clothes oh, except for our really cool disco clothes and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> light fall clothes that we had when we started the trip. And so we uh, we buy these Canadian leather jackets in the weirdest, ugliest colors you can ever imagine. They all have this big fur and yeah. Yeah. all that stuff. But they're like this most horrible clothes greens and brown yeah it's just horrible but we all have them on we think we're really cool uh and so the club falls in love with shirley and he goes uh you guys don't even have to play takes his <laughs> and there's nobody coming in anyway it's a ski town only yeah. the you know the people from the uh, town came to see us one night and they're just sitting looking at us like really because <laughs> we have on the we got the monster bells, yeah, right? Yeah. And we got the sparkly vest and makeup. And we're, we're doing the whole disco, you know, macho man thing. And uh, so, needless to say, the couple uh, doesn't care. He's into Shirley. He pays our money just to shut up and be quiet. We come back to town and Shirley uh, decides she doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh lord so that lasted though for about two and a half years it was pretty great we traveled all over the united states played in some <laughs> wonderful places and uh as sliver of the funk machine as sliver of the funk machine <laughs> and uh did people think that one of you was was sliver what's that did, did people think that one of the one of the people in the band was actually the person sliver? No, no, we were we were collectively sliver. Okay, okay? <laughs> not slither. No, no, I understand. Yeah. Now, probably more times than not, the people who would put up the marquees yeah. would have to figure that it's got to be a mistake, so we'd be silver. <laughs> <laughs> so even though we were sliver, yeah. we spent the majority of the time being silver. <laughs> 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 You know, which is appropriate because we had silver vests. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, so after that, I uh, our last gig was in Can in uh, Anchorage, Alaska during breakup. <laughs> breakup is in in Anchorage. Uh, oh, and so many things in between. Man, we played. I remember in Kansas City, we played this mafia place. They played us like five times what we usually had been paid <laughs> to play from eleven o'clock at night till twelve midnight. That was it. An hour. While they laundered money, probably, <laughs> or whatever they did, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, and then we came back home, and uh, we were home for two days, 
to that we need you in Anchorage, Alaska. So we go up there and it's breakup. Now breakup is a time of year where the snow is melting. Yeah. It's a really dangerous time up there. Okay. Up there, and this is 1979, I think. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's like sort of dark, sort of light. It's just freaking depressing. But we're playing six six uh, six nights a week, ten o'clock at night till four thirty in the morning. Ah. Wow. We were exhausted. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, needless to say, the band broke up after that. <laughs> and I came back and finished college and all that stuff. But uh, we, uh, the guys, excuse me, the, uh, uh, they were also working on the pipeline. So there's all these young guys up there with more money than they knew oh, what to yeah. do with. Yeah. You, know, you know, there's eight <laughs> guys for every woman. Yeah. You know. Oh, boy. Oh, dude, it was, it was. <laughs> uh, and our, the most fun thing time we had when they gave us this old station wagon we would take it up as fast as we could go and throw it in reverse uh, that was our big time fun and then what would happen uh, when you throw it in reverse what's that what? oh the, oh, the transmission would grind yeah. and it would just like fall out oh we would just laugh it was funny as all get out uh when you're in Alaska during breakup, and then uh, now listen, I, do you miss those days? I, I, well, yeah, man, you on, right. on the road with the band, all for yeah. one, one for all. all right. yeah, it was cool. <laughs> and then after that, because I played the disco thing, it was cruise control, uh-huh. uh, and then I wanted to be in a rock band. And uh, after cruise control broke up. Uh, puzzle. Uh, Ron, the great Ron Stevens. Oh, uh-huh. I learned so much from those guys, man. Um, and then I I went to San Francisco. I saw Al Jarreau. I go, man, screw these drums, man. <laughs> I can do this. Yeah. And, and this is really cool. Instead of bringing drums to a gig, I'm bringing an extra shirt right. and a tambourine. Right. Changes the whole yeah yeah perspective. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so yeah, so, so mu- the music thing for me, uh, I've done all the things they say you should and shouldn't do. <laughs> and the, but the Calvin Walker thing, I got to open up for a lot of open up for Miles, Level Forty Two, yeah. play with some great people, yeah. and then at the end of that, uh, I did what people need to be to do as a musician. I went to work for the union. Ooh boy. Oh, right? Yeah. Which is like, it should have been the kid. But, you know, I said, I'm going to make this cool. Uh-huh. This is not, not going to be your typical union. And back in those days, anyway, fighting to keep in the union. Right. Really, the only consistent uh, entities we had were the symphony, the opera. Right. Uh, shows that came through town. Yeah. Those things had to be union. Because that was the decorum for that at the time. But the local club musicians, they were going, we don't need this anymore. Now, I remember the time uh, when every club was a union club. And I have to tell you, great, because you got a guarantee. Right. You got your money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we, we were on the end of it where we were trying to convince people that... Uh, <laughs> that was a good idea.
Yeah. And then we thought it was a good idea to go over to Cam HD. Yes, and then and then a uh, little marketing job, and then KMHD. Where you, came, were, you were the only voice of reason. You know what, man? <laughs> um, I was thinking about that. Uh, like many things, you know, KMHD was almost like being in a band because it was really about the camaraderie of the people. Yeah. Invariably, when you bring that many people, there's going to be differences of opinion. And especially... Well, yeah, and especially with the the word jazz involved. Yeah. Jazz and blues, but blues is a little bit more obvious that categorically than all the many colors of the jazz spectrum, yeah. the jazz rainbow. Yeah. Um, and that was the thing. But, I, you know, uh, in its uh, uh, awkwardness, is that a good way to put it? You mean how the station was run? <laughs> yeah, in its awkwardness. <laughs> or not run? Um, there was something cool about that. I like that. It, it, it's it's uh, KMHD is awkward. You could call it anarchy also. Yeah. Well, yeah. Today it's a it's a prof you know it's run in a professional manner. But I got to tell you, uh, there was something endearing for me about hearing the CD go, you know, and. <laughs> And and uh, oh, we thought that was Count Basie, but actually that was. <laughs> you know. I remember the first time when I was doing Saturday nights back around 2008. Right. So, and I played the Chai Lights, and you thought I'd have killed Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so the phone rang up. The phone cut up. Oh my God! That was a thing. Yeah, I remember our great station manager. You know, as a musician, I, I, I had no, really, truthfully, I had nothing in the musical premise there, except right. that I was a musician. Right. And so I looked at the music you play. I said, "Man, we should be playing." You know, it's really a commercial endeavor too. The people are giving you the CDs because they want you to play them. Correct. It's a coordinated effort between right. print media. Yes. If they could afford television, all of it. So they, when they send you the promo, yeah. that means promotion. Yes. Play the darn CD. Right. Don't keep it in your office for, that you know, two years. Right. Yeah. yeah. So when I would look at the CDs, it would have stuff on it like, you know, like it'd be some kind of boogaloo. Maybe it was Lou Donaldson or Ramsey Lewis or something. Some kind of funky, soulful. Right. It's still, you know, musicians improvising, but. Nonetheless, and would have on a don't play before 2 p.m. Yes. And I used to think, like, what the heck? What does that mean? What oh, that those mean? wild jungle oh, rhythms yes, will set people right. wild in their offices yeah. after 2. It's okay. After they've had lunch. Yeah. <laughs> 2 o'clock, really? Like, why 2? I know. And uh, yeah, the last year that uh, the station was out there, no one was running it. <laughs> no, it was particularly daunting well, during those periods of time. Well, for me, well, I could do whatever the fuck I wanted. Well, that's true. That's, that's very <laughs> and true. And I did. That's true. Well, see, there was something liberating and freeing it about was. that, right? It was. Because <laughs> who's, like, who's watching the asylum here? Nobody. Uh, 
But you decided to stay out there after the station left. And and actually, it's been, you know, that's why I encourage uh, get a degree, you know. It'll it'll serve you well through your life. And you're actually doing good in the world. Um, And I I love that, academic advising. And I, 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 I dig it, man. I dig it. The thought of driving to Lake Oswego would have been, you know, like sometimes you just have to make a decision. And you know, the other thing, from, from my vantage point, KMHC had been fund, uh, grant funded. Yeah. So it was always, and when you're the development director, you're looking at how the money is made. So it's yeah. a different, you're looking at it a different way. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to pay the bills. Right. And, uh, but I got, I love all those people. You know, that, you know, Marcia and you and Ted and yeah, yeah. Pete and it, it was a great group of people. You know, Nick Jeffro, yeah. just a really great group of people who did what they did. Um, you know, and the little infighting about, and I was like, what is jazz? What's jazz? <laughs> you know, which I think is particularly ridiculous. Jazz, like anything, yeah, you can call it whatever you want. It should be something that people joy and that you take people on this sort of uh, nice trip with music and they can hear things they haven't heard before and hopefully they go out and purchase music so that the entire cycle keeps keeps going on probably because I play soul music on my show now I never get calls from the jazz police anymore right right (laughs) Well, and let's face it, the jazz police are slowly but surely oh, they're, they're dying going to that big yeah. jazz concert in the sky. And I hope they're happy there. You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was really fun. Uh, last weekend, I went up to Fremont Days, which is here in uh-huh. our lovely city, yeah. like a, the old-time community thing where, you know, the people are out selling their wares and stuff. And there were a number of young musicians uh you know, playing for whatever they got in the hat or the case, as it were. Yeah. And uh, I passed by this one kid, man. He's got a he's got a Busher baritone saxophone with a low D. Wow. And he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And I and I so I walk by him. I go, "Who are the baddest baritone players out there?" He goes, "Adams and uh, Jerry Mulligan." All right. Really? I mean, this kid, you know, so there's hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, as long as there's, you know, which is kind of a sad state of affairs, really, when you think about music uh, being taken out of a kid's, just an everyday kid thing. I mean, you know, you used to go to grade, even in grade school, man, you can pick out an instrument, get to take it home, and yeah. Yeah. get to learn how to read music, and maybe you never did anything with it, but you... You know, you got to understand it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, different perspective on listening to music, yeah. and that's all gone. It must be nice. For, at least, at least I hope it's nice for you when they introduce you as being a member of the Oregon Music Hall of Fame. Um. Yeah. I. You know what, Ooh, man? Yeah. I have my little. It's the only, and I. You know, I have yeah all kinds of mess that they give you over the years. It's the only thing I actually. Uh, have exhibited in my home that yeah. see is that uh, particular war. It meant a lot to me. Uh, yeah. Beca- uh, beca- 
because of it being a culmination of things, I guess. I don't know. Well, uh, it ain't over, though, you know. I, I can't, well, I don't know. I, you know, you, thre- you think, um, I always uh, sort of dreamed about uh, as regular work slowed down that I would be able to uh, uh, go back and, and play and perform music again. Um, I don't think about that much of it now. I'd rather do something that's going to be good for society as a whole. Uh, but uh, I would love to do. I I just kind of, I know it would be like I I did a thing with Terry, yeah. and we we had I think we oh, played five gigs. It was so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but then the summer ended, and and then that meant that other side of it that I I really had no. Uh, uh, that was never the intention in the first place. Yeah. And I can't. I I'm not gonna go out there and beg somebody for some gig, man, to make fifty bucks. I just can't do that. Yeah. It's just me. Right. Not to say that you know professional musicians who get to play, but and it's one thing. And my friend Farnell Newton, he had it up on his. Uh, it was on Facebook the other day. Don't ask musicians to get in for free. Right. Pay the damn cover charge, man. It's only five bucks. Right. You can't. Do, now, I, this is what I don't understand. Now, people have, they'll go to some, you know, and go buy a cup of coffee. Uh-huh. Not that that's a bad thing. We love coffee. Right. But then pay the musicians, man. If you're going to go see some music, dance, enjoy the music, I, I, I don't think that $10, and most people can't, they're afraid to even charge that much. I don't think seeing Farnell Newton. Yeah. I'd pay $10. I know. I'm not going to call him up. I know him. He's a good yeah. man. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have the audacity to call up that man and and say, hey, man, could you put me on the guest list? Yeah. Is it really? Know. You know. I know. It's like. I do that if I've done a story. Or you I'm, know. If I'm doing a, if, I'm, if I've given them. Well, I I think no. journal well journalists that's a whole different things because you're you you're doing a chronological account right. of what's going on. Right. That's a whole different thing. Yeah. But just folks, it's oh man, could you put me on a good line? No, pay it, pay the pay, pay the damn cover charge. Really? It's like, are you serious? So pay, pay I don't care what town you're in, wherever you are, pay the cover charge. You know, pay the people, let them make some money. Right. They're not making that much money anyway. Yeah. You know, a, a, in, look, Tom, a pair of Regal 5B drumsticks uh-huh. co- probably costs about 10 bucks. Yeah. Uh, you know, the gas to get to the gig, you're not even, we're not even accounting for the years and years of perfecting your craft. Right. We, you're not getting paid for that. Yeah. They, you, they couldn't yeah. possibly pay you for that. Right. But, the gas, your instrument, hauling it back and forth, loading it in, loading it out. Uh, you probably plan for the gig. By the time you deduct your expenses, you may be making three fifty, three dollars, and that's three dollars and fifty cents. Yeah, yeah. At most of most of the venues that you're gonna play. Right. So if you're playing for the door, that's horrible. If you're playing for a guarantee, making the money I was making. Back when I was playing with the uniques and doing the splits right. and making 20, I made $25 for my first professional gig, 
that I called a professional gig. Yeah. There's people making twenty five dollars now. Yep. You know. Yep. Fifty years later. Yep. It's crazy. All right. Well, listen, man. Thank you for coming in. I enjoyed it. Appreciate uh, it. Thanks for your time. Reliving. Always nice to see you. We did all this. We didn't talk about politics at all. No. So we leave this. That's a good thing. With a platter, a rainbow of positive vibrations for the world to cheer. And knowledge of the volume library. 26 different school subjects in one convenient volume with a Ram McNally Atlas in the back. All right, man. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs>